0: My next guest could not be more fun to talk to. During quarantine, we shared a Zoom conversation and he gave me insights and background in how an unscripted TV show gets done, how a development and production executive works, and all of the big hits he's worked on over his career. About eight shows at Facebook, working with Snapchat in short form, and recently launching a show on Twitch all about dreams. But you probably know his hits like Extreme Makeover, Home Edition, and Cake Boss that has run for 10 years and made globs of money. So stay tuned for this awesome conversation with Andrew Strasser, a practicing yogi, a competitive gymnast, and much more.
1: Welcome to Passion to Power with your host, Michelle Zeitlin. She's a creative producer who quote-unquote wears many hats. She's also a talent and literary manager and founded the company More Zap Productions and Management. She develops people and projects across all media. Her guests encompass the gamut, from artists to authors, actors to activists, programming executives, development executives, and A&R. Michelle Zeitlin is excited to share her tips and tools for success through her conversations, mostly via Zoom during quarantine. Please welcome Michelle Zeitlin, Passion to Power. Well, hi, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm Andy Strasser. Uh, Professionally, people call me Andrew, but of course all my friends call me Andy, so please do that. And yeah, I am a um, content producer across all screens. I started in television and now I do a lot of digital and streaming uh, as the world evolves. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing
0: okay so i sent you a bunch of talking points but i have a feeling we won't even have to do a a list because you're very extemporaneous you're really off the cuff you have a great demeanor and it's funny because i know you more professionally through word of mouth than actually doing business with you i think we've only been on the phone probably doing business a couple times in the last five years most recently you were working when i was speaking with you with a german affiliate i think it was the red arrow company correct
1: yep that's right I was at a company called, oh sorry, I was at a company called Studio 71, which is one of the Red Arrow companies, and I was there for two years producing and developing uh, digital content for them.
0: And what were some of the shows that you developed when you were there?
1: So we did a lot of stuff across platforms, I had um, uh, eight series on Facebook. Uh, One of which I actually just got this today was my reality TV award just came in. For those of you who
0: can't see him he's holding up a very cute, it looks like a kind of a 50s television award that says digital reality series.
1: Yep, so this was um, a reality TV award uh, we won for a show called I Want My Stuff Back. Uh, It's a cute concept for Facebook, and um, it won Best Digital Series for 2019. So excited about that. They just delivered this today. Um, I also did um, a show for Snapchat with Emma Chamberlain, who's one of the world's biggest YouTubers. Uh, We did 40 episodes in five days. Talk about maximizing time and cost for that.
0: What um, amazing.
1: Yep, and I did several other Snapchat shows and a lot of Facebook shows. I did an A&E show called the Tobro, uh, which was based off of a, a YouTube channel about uh, Carapitus. It's a guy who works on people's feet and it was for A&E. We did six episodes for that. So all kinds of stuff from A&E to Facebook to Snapchat, you name it. We did a lot of stuff over there.
0: And before uh, the Arrow Company, Studio 71, you were working at JLo's company, correct?
1: Yep, I was at New Eureka for a year, um, which is JLo's company under her overall deal at the time with NBCU. And so uh, I started right after the creation of World of Dance and was there for the launch of World of Dance. And then uh, I created a crime show with her that we sold to um, Discovery ID that actually never made it to air but so i was there a year and then prior to that i was at tlc for many years i was on the cable network side and i ran a talent development for tlc so i was responsible for finding all the characters uh, that populate tlc and then creating shows around those characters so for example i created cake boss which is a very long-running series at tlc Um, I did another one called a Playhouse Masters. I was involved in the development of 90 Day Fiance. So I worked on Say Yes to the Dress and What Not to Wear and sort of like anything and everything on TLC for about almost a decade.
0: Amazing. So before we kind of launch into your current show and exactly what you do on this show, because that's really what's key. When I interview people, I want to give aspirational advice. And in fact, I noticed on, it was either LinkedIn or Facebook that you were offering to coach some young people that are getting into the digital world, which I think is so important. So having been a talent literary manager and a mentor, and I speak all over the world, a lot about dance because I'm a former Joffrey ballet dancer and choreographer for many music videos, I was an original famer. I don't know if you know that. I was, yeah,
1: yeah. Wow, I did not know that. I knew you were a ballet dancer, but that's incredible.
0: Yeah, so in fact, my very first podcast was with Lee Carreri, who was Bruno Martelli on Fame, and he had just recorded a big uh, to-do the day that Kobe passed on the Grammys with my cousin Joshua Bell, who's a a world-famous violinist, misty copeland in yellow dancing with the debbie allen dancers so it brought home this incredible years of my life you know in this one number called i sing the body of electric so that's that's a little bit of my snapshot and and the reason i love
1: that song too it's so great iconic
0: it's an iconic song and the funny thing is that lee carrary ended up marrying the sister of the girl who sang that in the movie wow okay this is how bizarre and that was my very first podcast that we recorded in front of a live audience of about 28 actors producers directors and we had a kind of integrated panel so I love being in front of an audience and I'm so grateful that you're with me because through the quarantine it's been kind of bizarre, not integrating with people, not interfacing with people, which is my favorite thing in life.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh, so many bizarre things about this whole year, but yes, that's definitely (laughs) one of them.
0: (laughs) Well, what I would love to do is go back to your early days. I mean, you look still like you're 25. I have a feeling you're a little older than that based (laughs) on your your resume. Um, Can you tell me how you got into development? What appealed to you? Because it's usually a kind of an accidental story.
1: Yeah, sure. So for me, you know, I was one of those kids, I grew up in Louisiana, and I always wanted to be um, in entertainment, but I didn't know how or what that meant or whatever. And so I started college at Ole Miss, University of Mississippi, and they just didn't have any sort of entertainment track. They had journalism, which wasn't for me. So I moved out to California when I was 19. I uh, coached gymnastics for a year. I was a competitive gymnast growing up, and um, and then I transferred into Cal State Northridge, and I was in the film and television department there. And I was, I still didn't know. It's funny. I, I for years I've talked to the intern classes at, at all my jobs, and um, I'm always like, I'm sure you guys have a better plan than I did because I just, I was like, I want to do it. I just don't know. I still like don't get it yet, right? So after I graduated. I, I did, a, I temped around and was trying to find a job and I got hired by a talent agency, uh, a boutique agency called SDB Partners. and No! Yeah, with Roe Diamond and Susie Schwartz.
0: Two of my clients are with Roe and Steven and Susie right now. Oh, my yeah. One of my all-time favorite boutique agencies. And Roe Diamond, this is really dating myself, but when my sister was an actress, Roe was her agent.
1: Who is your who's your sister?
0: Erica, Erica Zeitlin, same last name. She got out of acting, and in fact, she went into journalism and was the, she was the strategic communications director of a huge new union. So
1: amazing! Yeah. They're wonderful, and they yes. Um, so I was with them for about five and a half years, and Stephen was there, and we had a great time. And then, I just really wanted to be closer to the creative process. I really enjoyed working with the actors uh, but I felt I was a little bit of like an employment agent right which you are as an agent which is great and you can get very invested in sort of their careers but I was like well I want to be creative right and so it was sort of right when the reality tv boom was happening and I was obsessed with like The Bachelor and you know uh, Survivor and all these things and I was like I feel like that's an area that would interest me so I, I through a friend of a friend, I got hooked up to meet um, with uh, a producer over at uh, NBC. At the time, his name was uh, Stuart Krasnow. And he said, you know, with your talent agency experience, you could probably be really good in the casting department. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, but you're, you're, you're overqualified, but I'm gonna have you go meet with them. It's a casting associate job. Just go meet with them. Great. So I went and met with them and they were like, you know what? It's not an associate job; it's a PA job, and it pays a hundred bucks a day. And at this point, I wasn't like, you know, a baller or anything. But I had a full time job at SCB; I had, you know, benefits and all this stuff. But I was just so ready to try to do something new and flex a creative muscle. I was like, I'll take it. And so I took the PA job and it was a big risk jumping into the deep end i'd never done it before and then a couple weeks later they promoted me to that associate position that he had told me originally about and that started a casting career and um i I was very grateful for roe and susie and stephen for helping me sort of hone like my eye for talent and that was like the infancy of like a really what became a very successful casting career and what happened was i ended up doing Um, I ended up getting the pilot of what turned out to be Extreme Makeover Home Edition, which was a huge success for like 10 years on ABC. And doing that show and becoming such a big hit sort of launched a a casting career. Fast forward, I did that for six years and then Discovery called me and said, we're looking for someone to run talent for TLC, talent development. So at that point I was really anxious to do more development and get into that area and so i did it i got the job i went there it was amazing and then after being there for eight and a half years i was like i'm really ready to produce and develop and at tlc it was a little bit of a blessing and a curse i was uh, it, it was sort of like one of those things where like you're really good at the talent development stuff Let's just have you do that all the time and I was like, thank you, but I really want to but- spread- <laughs> Yeah, I want to spread my wings I don't want to just do that I'm a forever.
0: gymnast. I need to do a triple back layout
1: Exactly like so so luckily um, they were supportive and then I left there and that's when I took the JLo job which really sort of launched me into more of being a producer developer and so for the last several years I've been that producing and developing shows and it's just been um, a really exciting time of my life I feel like I've had a sort of second act to the things I was doing before I didn't want to be the last person at the cable party I wanted to be evol- you know to evolve with the industry and the world as it goes more digital. And I think it's important for, you know, executives and producers to to do that and to be flexible and nimble. And so that's what I've been doing and it's been a, a lot of fun, but it was a journey. I didn't just fall into development. People sometimes get that development assistant job at a network and then they're there for 20 years. Like that didn't happen to me. I had to like really kind of carve out a path for myself everywhere I went. So, um, yeah, you know, a little bit of a different journey.
0: People have become huge stars from these reality shows. And, um, I mean, I was not an addict of, like, The Bachelor, but I remember when I was actually shooting, I was shooting an interview about Paula Abdul, actually, for E1, and my entire cast was in the other room watching The Bachelor. (laughs) Completely addicted. (laughs) But you know, the shows that I love are are a little bit more about the creation, like Project Runway is probably at my all-time favorite because I love to see people who have a specialty and how, like Cake Boss, that's that's a great example. I love to see people who are specialists in something that I think is amazing and how they really do it, making a dress out of tape, out of garbage, you know, the, the fine icing techniques you know, my mom used to decorate cakes. I mean, I'm just so in awe of, and then you find these great characters, like you said, they have, um, because they're not, they're not uh, actors, they're not stars in that way, but they are celebrity personalities that we become addicted to watching.
1: Yeah, Even the I train just, wrecks. <laughs> especially the train wrecks, right? It's. Um, I think it's the authenticity that the audience typically responds to. And you know, when when I found Buddy, it was just sort of like immediately I knew he was a star. Like I just knew he was gonna work. And the funny story about that is I originally pitched him to TLC in our green light meeting, which is sort of the meeting where every all the decisions are made. And I had the support of everybody loved him except for our network president, and she was like, mm, "I'm not really sure," and she passed on him, and and that was kind of the end of it. And then a couple of weeks later, I don't know what happened, but she called me and she said, "If you want to do that cake show, you can do it." And so I was like, "Okay," so I we did you it. A little
0: spoon. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it and run with it. And we did it. We shot a pilot. We. We reviewed the pilot and it did okay, and then right around that time is when the John and Kate drama happened, John and Kate Plus 8. And then that blew up and became huge tabloid drama. And then we launched the first full season of Cake Boss behind John and Kate, and it blew up because it, he got such a great lift platform from them so it was interesting and then the rest is history he's been on for 10 years he's in 200 countries he's like a global celebrity he's a you know millionaire and like whatever and so and i'm so thrilled because like it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy and like his family they're just wonderful and it was such a uh nice sort of highlight of my career too to be able to launch a show like that and to change somebody's life and really make his dream come true, because I know it was something he really wanted. And uh, so it's been uh, very rewarding to see that success over the years.
0: I have a couple of things to say. One is that people seem to be so warm uh, and appreciative and kind during this quarantine because it's been a great equalizer. People, I've had Zoom calls with heads of networks in their living rooms. Um, you're providing your time. I find that people will just pick up the phone and take your call. But aside from the altruistic value and the good feeling value and the karmic value of launching a star like that, what do you get out of this financially as a development executive? Or do you get a piece of that? Or is are you purely on a salary
1: for that kind of thing? Purely on a salary. So I was a TLC employee. My job was to find talent and develop shows for them. So that's what I did. Right. And uh, so, you know, Cake Boss has probably generated hundreds of millions of dollars for TLC. I don't participate in any of that. Um, so I just get the glory of it and I get the The fun fact on my resume that I created that show, and I get to say that for the rest of my life. And I'm happy with that, and I'm proud of that. If I were on the other side at the time, so if I were the production company, then I would, you know, be participating in this financially. Um, But at the time, I was the network executive. So that's, you know, is what it is.
0: (laughs) Can you, for our listeners um, who may not know, give kind of that? organizational chart in the development stream especially since it's changing all the time
1: uh, in terms of like a from the network perspective or just yes. in general now well so, both
0: because you work both in broadcast television and in the digital platforms
1: yes yeah, so so now I'm a you know a producer I work for a company now but what we do is it's our jobs to to find uh, ideas develop those ideas and then go out and pitch those ideas to buyers right and get somebody to buy it so The chain of events would be, you know, production company develops idea, um, they shoot uh, a sizzle, uh, they put together a deck, you need sort of visual representations of what that idea is gonna be, right? So you put your your pitch materials, your sales materials together. So uh, at which point you, if you have a direct relationship with a buyer, you go to that buyer and you set up a pitch meeting. If you don't uh, and you're represented, you have an agent make those calls on your behalf uh, you set up the meetings. These days they're Zooms. They used to be in person. Um, and you go and you do your dog and pony show and you pitch your little hearts out and you you know, show your sizzle and you do the song and dance about what the show is and the talent and all these great things. And, and
0: it's pretty much like this these days, right? Yep,
1: just like yeah. this. So uh, And you'll leave behind a uh, deck that explains what the show is potentially beats out what the episode looks like, what future episodes could look like, what a series arc could be, all of those things. And then the buyer takes it and internally they process it and then they decide whether or not, uh, A, they wanna pursue it in a meaningful way, meaning uh, do they wanna do a presentation or a pilot or buy a series or if they wanna pass altogether, right? And then so you do that for as many buyers as you can for that particular project. And then you kind of wait and see what happens. And if someone uh, bites and they want to do it, and uh, then you pursue a uh, deal with them and your business affairs uh, talk and hopefully make a a deal that's favorable for everybody. And then you go off into production.
0: So thank you. Thank you for downloading all of that. That's great. Um, Can you launch into telling us about Twitch what Twitch is and this new show that you must have developed literally in quarantine.
1: Yeah, sure. So Twitch is Amazon's uh, live streaming platform. It started out as a platform primarily for gamers and then Amazon bought it. And it is now a lot of gaming still, but anybody can stream uh, kind of anything. And they've just started to get into original content and spending money on original content, which they hadn't done prior. And so I had pitched them a couple things right before lockdown and all the craziness. And they bought um, a show and were really excited about it. It was actually in the dance space, which was like really outside of like the box for them. And then when all of this happened, they're like, oh, we can't do that anymore. Let's try another one. And so I pitched them another one that they bought. And they're like, oh, we can't do that one now either. (laughs) And so I was like, what- The story of of my life. I know, so I was like, all right, well, what can we do during lockdown? Like literally all we do is like sleep and uh, sleep. So I pitched them a show and I said, you know, what if we do a show about people's dreams and let's live stream someone sleeping and see if the audience can influence their dreams? Because Twitch is a interactive live streaming platform. So, which means the audience is feverishly, chatting during the show. So when you're watching the show, you can also watch the chat that's happening with the show and about the show. So the audience is actively participating. So um, I pitched them Dreamstream. And um, basically we have a, we created a sleep chamber in London because we want the show to start when the person's already sleeping. So we have a sleep chamber and uh, our sleeper arrives in the sleep chamber and they go to bed. And at 5 p.m. West Coast time, which is 1 a.m. in London, they're already asleep, we start our show. And it's very uh, kind of 2001 Space Odyssey vibes if you see the set, it's very kind of like, you know, creepy and interesting. And what happens is as they're sleeping, the audience gets to decide what scents, smells, beings we send into the room in, in an attempt to try to influence um, their dreams. And then in, in the morning when we wake them up, our dream expert analyzes the dreams that they've had and we get to see actually if any of our experiments paid off in terms of like their um, their dreams. So it's been the most, one of the most creative Um, endeavors in my life and to do it now during lockdown has been especially um, thrilling um, for me because you know we're all as are you we're all just trying to be creative and keep our minds moving and and so it's I'd I'd never done a live stream production before and it's you know intense so we do a two-hour morning show on a saturday and then we did a six-hour live stream that night so it's like a marathon producing it people um, actually
0: tune in for six hours
1: for six hours yeah and people kind of come and go some people stay the whole time we did six hours the first week five hours then four and i think we're gonna do four this saturday is our finale um and so anybody can log on to twitch um and watch it. It's called DreamStream. It's on uh, Twitch Presents, which is sort of like their main channel on Twitch. And it's fascinating. It's just an interesting experiment. It's the first ever um, live interactive dream experiment on any screen ever. And so um, I'm really proud of it. And I, you know, happy that we were able to do it and be creative, you know, in a time where, you know, there are a lot of challenges.
0: All right, well, a couple things I'm dying to ask you. First of all, I wanna know more about your gymnastics. How, oh. how long did you train and were you looking to compete at a national level?
1: I So I started late, it was funny. My mom started me in gymnastics when I was six, but my sister was so bad, they pulled her out after the first day and then my parents didn't wanna drive me by myself, so they took me out. So then when I was 12, Uh, I asked my mom, I'm like, why did you take me out of gymnastics? I always wanted to do that. And she told me that I was like, well, can I go do it? And she's like, well, if you want to do it, you have to like figure it out. I was like, okay. Which is one thing I love about my parents is they're sort of like, they support me till the end, but they also want me to like dive in and swim for myself. So I called up, found a local gym, got myself signed up and then uh, loved it and competed all the way through high school. I was going to, go walk on to Arizona state, but I got injured my last year, of, um, high school. I fractured a vertebrae, which healed and it was totally fine, but I ended up not competing in college just because I was like, uh, that's didn't want to do that anymore, but I coached in college. So when I moved to LA, I coached all the way up until I got my first job at SDB. I was still coaching gymnastics on the weekends when I started my first. Where time. were you at JAG? Where, where, where were you? I was at Santa Monica Gymnastics yeah. Center, and uh, right before that, Broadway Gym. So, which are two? I think Santa Monica Gym sadly is closed now. I think they ended retiring. They retired, but yeah. So, um, so I competed all through high school, and then now I'm a just really big yogi. Mm-hmm.
0: it mean to work in the digital space what encompasses the digital space it seems like it's the whole world these days
1: yeah it's a good question and it pretty (laughs) much is I'd say for me that means anything except for cable television and broadcast television so for me it's you know the snapchats Facebooks of the world IGTV uh, and even the big streamers, obviously, those are like the marquee buyers these days for premium, which would be, you know, Netflix, Hulu. Uh, and and OTP. what does that mean?
0: What does that really mean? Premium? People throw that around. What What in your mind does premium content really mean?
1: Well, in industry wide, it basically means the big, expensive streamers that are going to spend a lot of money. And so it's like, that's what they mean by premium. Because you can watch Netflix and there's stuff that they've acquired from like random, you know, foreign territories that is not premium content. But when you, but I still love it. There's some shows on there that I love that are like just cheap acquisitions. But when you're thinking of premium, you're thinking of them uh, commissioning. Like House of Cards theatrically. That would be a premium for sure. So or what would like, be an
0: unscripted?
1: Give me an example. Even like A Cheer on Netflix, that's a premium doc um, series. Okay. Um, and it did really well. It was beautifully shot. It, there was a great story arc. There were great characters. Very well produced. Um, I think that's what people mean mostly when they're talking about that. But. Um, you know and it's longer form so premium typically means long form like half hours or hours you know you wouldn't typically say uh talk about premium in terms of short form except quibi tried to change that conversation and that sort of hasn't really worked out
0: tell me um kind of the parameters uh What's from the pitch process to the green light, to getting to production, and then from turnaround to actual launch is probably a heck of a lot faster than in broadcast television and the cable world. And then kind of the budgets, if you would give me kind of a a broad strokes on the budget.
1: Sure, so working for the digital platforms has been really fun and exciting because it is a quick turnaround, it's run and gun and you just go and you wanna make it look as nice and, polished and premium as we say quote unquote as possible but that's also not the priority for those places like they they want talent driven fun concepts that aren't too far off from the talents like initial channels so for example all of the shows i did were with big sort of youtubers and big sort of digital talent and we were bringing them to a different platform so um, for example, I did eight shows with Facebook in 2019. We did two per quarter. Each series was eight episodes long and those episodes were between six and 10 minutes. So, and we could turn one of those series around pretty quickly, like from green light to air, was, could be like two months you know, um, or less in some cases, whereas in television, from green light to air could be a year. Um, So it's a much more abridged schedule, which for me is really exciting because I don't want to just fall in love with my own ideas. I want to like do an idea and then see it out there in the world and have other people see it, right? That's the value of what I do. It's like letting other people enjoy it. And with television, it's just, they're they're too risk adverse. And so they don't buy enough, takes forever to get something on the air. And digital, it's like, there's much more willingness to play and to try. So for example, with Facebook, they have been wonderful partners and had a great, great, great time working with them. And uh, we did a lot of shows. We won awards for their shows, which was great. Um, And they were all talent driven. It was like sort of YouTubers that I was bringing to Facebook. Um, and putting them in a in a format that we created for them as sort of like host or expert or whatever so um, and those budgets were typically around 25,000 an episode and these are short form shows so for like 200,000 for eight episodes you could do a whole series whereas for I did an a and show last year and it was like 300,000 per episode, per episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's sort of the difference and then but the quality of the shows they look great and they're really fun and it just feels like a little bite-sized episode of like a a real tv show right um and you know in some cases hundreds of thousands of people watch them i did a show called Sunken found which was really fun it was a um it's a guy in texas his name ironically his name's dallas and he's from <laughs> And. He scuba dives to find stuff that people have lost in lakes and rivers. And so okay. he has a really successful YouTube channel called Man Plus River. But it, there's no format to it. He just sort of like swims around. So basically, I partnered with him and created a format where in every episode, there's a plea from someone saying, Dallas, I lost my ring when I was tubing with my friends over the weekend, and please help me find it before you know, my husband finds out or whatever. And so then he would go and try to find the ring and then hopefully find it and then reunite me with my ring, right? So we did eight episodes. It did huge, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views an episode. I think One of the episodes is almost up to 2 million views right now. It did really well. It got nominated for reality TV award. It didn't win because one of our other shows beat it out. Oh, Um, what
0: a shame. (laughs) You're competing within yourself. I know. That's awesome.
1: but yeah, so it's just an example of like taking a YouTuber or somebody who's known for a certain thing, creating a format similar to what their audience already knows, uh, but bringing it to a new platform. And so that way you're engaging your the audience that already knows him and likes him and you tweaking it, giving something a little new and then introducing him to a new audience. So um, I loved I loved all the Facebook shows. Snapchat, um, they're... It was interesting with them. We did a, a sort of a different model with them in some cases where we did a self, we self-funded a show and then we'd do an ad rev split on the back end. So ad revenue split on the back end. Um, really cute shows. We did one with Kiki Palmer, who is a fabulous actor. I'm a huge fan. Time. Yep. We did 10 episodes with her called Keeping Up With Kiki and, I'm mm-hmm. oh, sorry, Keeping It Real With Kiki. And she, um, would answer like fans dms and stuff like that and those can be done really cheaply like you could do those for like one to two to three thousand dollars an episode um so it just depends but then on the other end we did the show with emma chamberlain uh adulting with emma chamberlain and um she's you know one of the biggest youtubers in the world and like i said we did 40 episodes in five days because we needed to maximize time and money and stuff like that so in digital you just have to be really scrappy and you have to to be willing to move quickly um and just roll with the punches
0: (laughs) do you find that you like to work consistently with the same crews and dps and people because they know how fast you have to move
1: i like to i like to do that because you just have like a comfort level with people and then you get used to uh the rhythm and they get used to the rhythm and so i think it's important if you find somebody good to kind of keep them and you want to you know people to keep working but i'm also not afraid to hire new people too that i don't know i mean sometimes you have to take risks and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't but you know for the most part like everybody's just trying to like do their best work always so i I've, I've rarely been like disappointed in like anyone that i've really worked with it's just sometimes meshing um styles you know uh, you have to get used to somebody's style sometimes but I do, if I can uh, work with the same people, I try to.
0: Um, as we're wrapping up, I would love for you to tell me whatever it is you want to tell me uh, about your dog, about your husband, about your personal life, about your public life that you think is riveting and that we should know about. <laughs> <laughs> uh-
1: what's riveting well it's been so my husband and i accidentally got tiktok famous this year which i thought was kind <laughs> i of saw funny. one of
0: them uh-huh. the and one two three i saw
1: yeah we it was really interesting we um we did a tiktok just for fun and it blew up in russia of all places and so we started getting um thousands and thousands of messages from from gay people in russia and neighboring countries where it's obviously much more conservative um and it's been really um eye-opening for us um you know we can definitely take for granted the life that we have here even during challenging times um that you know there are definitely places in the world where it, it isn't as easy to be who you are and so it's been actually such a beautiful experience for us over the last several months you know receiving such love from people around the world and we did another one that blew up like in asia and like it's just so crazy um and so the response from lgbt kids and teens especially has been i get like kind of emotional thinking about it because you know i would never have a guest um you know at my age to like make an impact on somebody like you know in another country and it, it never even crossed my mind and so um that's something that i think has been like really um such a gift to us like in such a great, like you know my husband lost his job this hasn't been an easy year for us either and so that's been just really beautiful to see and so we, it's just inspired us to do more and hopefully um you know because uh you know it's important i think to spread the love you know and um you know i want young lgbt folks out there to know that you know it does get better and um you know, to keep going. I feel, It feels like we're, you know, the winds of change are coming and, you know, I hope, hope we just keep pushing along.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much. Would you do me a favor and just say your name one more time as we sign off?
1: Sure, Andrew Strasser. Such a pleasure, Michelle, thanks for having me. It was really fun.